In federal contracting, a joint venture is where two or more companies enter into a joint venture relationship and partnership agreement for the sole purpose of bidding on and performing on government contracts. Joint ventures can be an amazing benefit for small businesses looking to grow in the government contract area when you have the right partner, when you're ready to grow, and when you understand the rules. Today, we're going to hear a story about the experience of how a small minority-owned business leverage this tool to their advantage and learn some key lessons along the way. Welcome to Unveiled, GovCon Stories, where we explore the experiences and share the stories of small businesses and government contracting to spotlight the often sugar-coated or avoided discussions that speak to the reality of doing business within the U.S. public sector as a small business. With your co-host, Tasha Jones and Yaz Wen. On this episode, we are joined by Michael Hawkins, Vice President of Strategy and Growth of Steel Point Solutions, a small GovCon based in Calverton, Maryland, providing tailored solutions, dynamic resources, and intellectual property to solve their clients' most complex challenges in digital transformation, cybersecurity, and professional service competencies. Michael has over 20 years of information technology experience supporting both commercial and government clients. And as a member of SteelPoint's executive leadership team, in addition to his executive responsibilities, he has served in the role of senior program manager and a variety of essential internal steel point positions where he's established a track record of stabilizing troubled projects and developing innovative architectures to support federal clients' missions in those roles. Hawkins currently focuses on engaging with federal customers to communicate steel points' evolving capabilities and gain insight into their clients' and potential clients' needs. In his early career, he served as an engineer for Northrop Grumman, a senior engineer at BAE Systems, and as a senior engineer project manager for Catapult Technologies. Mr. Hawkins has a bachelor's of science degree from Towson University and a master of business administration degree from the University of Phoenix. As an active member of the Washington DC metropolitan area community, Mr. Hawkins gives time to help develop the youth and exemplifies the values that Still Point Solutions represents. Michael, thank you for being brave, pulling back the curtain and sharing your GovCon story with us. So let's jump right into it. Can you please start, share your story with us? Sure. Thanks for having me, Natasha and Yaz. So I'm Mike Hawkins. I'm Vice President of Strategy and Growth for Steel Point. And uh, my story about the first JV that Steel Point participated in uh, was with a large business. At the time, we had just come out of a mentor-protege relationship with another large firm uh, supporting Air Force. And we had had some success. We had won the Nun Perry Award, uh, which is an award given out to mentor-protege relationships that have been exemplary uh, to their customer. And so we partnered with a large firm to start a JV uh, because they had prior Air Force experience. They had a contract vehicle uh, that the Air Force utilized heavily, and they were quite successful uh, in winning on that contract vehicle. So because of that background, we thought that this was a good opportunity to really rapidly uh, scale steel point uh, and leverage the past experience and the past successes that they had, mix that with the capabilities that steel point had, and we will be able to win work on new and upcoming GWAC such as ADA Stars 3. So we, we partnered together and we won ADA Stars 3 uh, vehicle. Uh, But fast forwarding, as we begin to kind of peel back the onion a little bit uh, on this joint venture, what we found was that, you know, a lot of the task orders that 
our JV partner had won uh, were somewhat of pass-throughs uh, because they were a prime on the vehicle and, and other companies may have uh, grown work and, and kind of brought it to the, the vehicle uh, through that joint venture partner. And so they did not necessarily have the in-house expertise uh, to really mature the capability uh, that they had, and they didn't really have the relationships necessarily uh, to grow new work. Uh, so that was a little bit of a challenge for us. So um, one of the things that happened was early on in our JV relationship, uh, the lead business developer, he took another job with another firm. And so that really was a setback for us. It took us quite a while to gain some traction. Uh, we did win STARS 3, so we won the GWAC, but we also were awarded a task order on STARS 3, and this was one actually that Steel Point had to grow and develop on our own. And so um, as the JV has progressed, we began to really work to regain the momentum, but we've missed time. Uh, on those first couple years of this GWAC that we could have been winning task orders. And that is the story that I had of our first JV experience. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate that information. As we develop um, moving forward, our relationships with other small businesses and large businesses as well, JVs are a critical component. Um, they offer certain businesses um, the opportunity to compete for contracts that are reserved for small businesses as well as a number of different avenues to access work within the government. A lot of times we've seen that JVs are formed to help companies share the costs or share resources or leverage past performance or experience that another business may have. And in some cases, mentor protégés as well. Could you tell us a little bit more about the benefits specifically that you saw about establishing a JV and some of your experiences? Sure. So the particular JV that we initially entered into was a all small JV through SBA. And this was a JV that a large business as well as a small business enter into. Um, and the small business really gets an opportunity to leverage some of the things that you mentioned, like past performance, uh, like some of that technical SME, uh, real expertise that they could bring to to really offer customers new and evolving capabilities and really mature capabilities. And you're able to compete for work as a small business. So it offers the large business the ability to compete in the small business arena uh, in conjunction with that small business kind of protege firm. So in addition to the large past performances that the small business is able to leverage, uh, the large business is also able to leverage, and the JV, I'm sorry, is able to leverage all of the socioeconomic categories and small business set-asides that small business protege firm has. Uh, for example, if it is a small business 8A firm, uh, that joint venture could compete for 8A contracts. Uh, so this offers a really um, kind of unique approach to compete for opportunities it really offers a small business the chance to scale quickly, to leverage the expertise and not necessarily just past performance and things like that, but really leverage the expertise in terms of, of preparing proposals, um, really managing programs, really bringing the value that customers want. And it also exposes that small business that may not necessarily have the relationships that the large business has uh, it exposes them to those relationships as well. So it offers a lot of advantages for a small business to enter into uh, one of these all small mentor protege joint ventures. 
So you did, you spoke about two different things. You spoke about a joint venture and then also the men are protege. And I know some, for some of our listeners, they may not understand the difference between the two. Can you give us a little context of what's the difference between sure. a JP and being an all small men are protege? Sure. So uh, a lot of different agencies, uh, specifically Air Force, Army, uh, and some of those sorts of, uh, of military agencies, they offer mentor-protege relationships to help small businesses grow uh, and develop capabilities that are uh, attractive for that particular branch of service uh, in terms of helping their military personnel. Uh, so, for example, Still Point was a part of a mentor-protege relationship where we work on specific goals with a large firm. And those goals uh, for Still Point were uh, becoming CMMI certified at level three for services as well as development, uh, becoming ISO certified and audited. Um, and so it was establishing those development processes. And, and during this mentor-protege relationship, uh, as a firm, Still Point worked on a software solution uh, that was eventually offered to the Air Force. Uh, in contrast, a joint venture is really a, a little bit more about business development. Uh, it, is, it is more about kind of, of going out and winning work and leveraging uh, the relationships of the large business to really compete uh, as one entity for contracts. I would say that the mentor-protege relationship is a little bit more about growing the protege firm, um, not only in uh, contracts and in revenue, but also in maturity. Also, um, just to add to that, I think from an SBA perspective as well, when you're doing a joint venture for it to qualify as just a joint venture, both um, entities must be a small business, whereas there's an exception to that rule, of course, like you stated, with the um, with the um, mentor protege program, where there's an allowance for a, a larger business to serve as the the mentor in the relationship, and they can and the new entity that's created with the venture is allowed to inherit, you know, those those small business benefits uh, that come with that small business partner or mentor, I should or protege. I'm sorry, I should say. So thank you so much for for explaining that, Michael. Correct. There's lots of different types of joint ventures. Um, really uh, encourage folks to check out the SBA's website and, and understand that because, you know, there's joint ventures between small firms uh, that they can both leverage their collective resources and previous experience uh, to compete. And then there's uh, sort of mentor protege joint ventures, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, one more thing. So I'm curious what, and there's a lot of opinions about this, but what's yours on having multiple joint ventures, men or protege relationships at the same time. How would you how would you give your opinion towards probably a new entrant small versus maybe a more mature small with doing something like that? So in my opinion, the joint ventures, especially the mental protege joint ventures are a great idea. Um, I think that as we move further and further down the road with government contracting, uh, we see these best-in-class vehicles. We see the mandates to use best-in-class vehicles. We see these large GWACs that are competed based on scoring. Um, these are things that smaller businesses just cannot compete. And so uh, what we find is that utilizing the joint venture, especially a mentor-protege, all-small joint venture, it allows the small business to be able to compete it offers the government customer 
a really mature entity that they can work with that is low risk. And it allows that small business to kind of get some of the uh, experience that they need to really be able to mature their capabilities and to offer them to the government customer. So in terms of competition, uh, you know, I think it's a great idea because it takes a while for a really small business to kind of get their footing and to really understand what it takes to win. You know, there's several thresholds that you have to cross. You know, you have to cross kind of that ability to win that, you know, kind of zero to five million dollar type of work. And then there's, you know, five to 10 million and there's 10 to 20. And these these are things that that take time. You know, if you have not had the background of doing this for another firm or working at a larger firm, these are things that take time to learn and leveraging partners, leveraging really good uh, mentors uh, is key. And, and in this business, relationships are everything. Uh, not only relationships with customers, but relationships with industry partners is really everything. And, and you really have to do a lot of things when you want to select a good JV partner. So you hit on a couple of the points that I was hoping to do in the next question, but that's okay. Um, because I think there's some other things worth kind of flushing out and talking about JVs. So having been on both sides of that fence, there's a very, very small to the very, very large, technically small side of the house, there are a lot of components that go into forming a JV. I'd like to talk about some of the lessons learned that you've experienced in terms of the contract side of the house, the, the pricing side of the house, now working as a JV, the recruiting, some of the things commonly referred to as back office. I think we talk a lot about the front end. So we're developing business, we're winning work, we're seeing new opportunities and we're chasing, we're talking to customers, but there are a lot of nuts and bolts that go on in the background to establish a JV or a mentor-protege relationship or, or, or to even understand the value as well as the cost that goes into establishing CMMI level three. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about some of the lessons you've learned in terms of orchestrating this on the back side of the house that the, the the customer doesn't necessarily see. Sure. So when you are selecting a JV partner, and this is something that, that Still Point had to learn kind of uh, by trial by error, and, and we've thankfully had good partners. We've been able to gain our footing and to move forward. And uh, now we're kind of exploring um, that next JV partner. But some of the things that you have to do I think when selecting a good JV partner is you have to have success with that company before you enter into a JV agreement. Um, knowing how a company works internally is extremely important. And so I think if you have success with that company, maybe through some sort of a prime sub role or some sort of project that you're working outside of the JV, right? you have success with that company, you get an opportunity to learn how their contract shop works. You get an opportunity to learn how their finance department works. You get to know kind of their billing cycle. So if you need, you know, you need your invoices paid in net 15 and this company historically doesn't pay, you know, net 45, then that's something you need to know going in and you need to plan accordingly. So if you've had success with a company, you've been able to really kind of get an understanding of how this company likes to work what types of projects they like to work on, which things that they kind of shy away from and they're not really excited about. And then you can really begin to plan 
for success in terms of a joint venture with that company. I think the next thing you need to know is you need to get to know everybody that you're going to interact with in order to win work. Uh, so that means you need to know the contract shop. You need to know who all the POCs are. You need to know who the partners are, not only for, you know, the one opportunity that you may be chasing, but there may be other opportunities. And so, you know, most larger firms, they have client executives uh, and account executives with many different agencies. And so you need to get to know all of those partners or account executives. They need to know your company. They need to know what you do. And you need to establish your own relationship with each of them, because that is how you get success in terms of a JV. You know, you don't just plan a JV for one contract or one vehicle. You want to plan for as much success as you can possibly have within that time period that the JV is active. I think another thing that you have to do is you have to have written goals uh, that both companies are committed to achieving. Uh, so you need to put pen to paper. You need to identify these goals and put them in the JV agreement. So when you write up your JV agreement, you need to have these goals written into the JV agreement so that both companies know that this is the measuring stick for a successful JV agreement. And you have to also understand that the JV is a two-way street. Uh, it is not just the small business is holding its hand out and the large business is just going to throw work at the small business because it never works like that. It just does not. Um, you have to put in just as much sweat equity, if not more, into kind of maturing these deals and working deals as the large business. The large business is going to offer you relationships, they'll offer you advice, and they may make some introductions, but you have to really be the closer. And you have to be able to come in, you have to be able to know what it is that the JV is going after, and you have to, you have to be really good and, and be able to offer real value uh, for your customer to award to that JV. You have to have leadership check-ins. So typically if you are working a JV and you've agreed to certain goals, you may have agreed to those goals with partners, but those partners are extremely busy. And so those probably are not gonna be the people that you interact with on a regular basis. You may interact with their business development or capture people on a day-to-day -day basis. So you have to have leadership check-ins to measure the success against those goals that were written into the agreement. And if that, uh, those goals are, are coming up short, then you have to create a plan to get back on track. These things have to be written and you have to have regular interaction. I think another thing is you have to know all the rules and benefits to the JV. There are a lot of rules and benefits that can really help you, but what you don't know will hurt you. And so if you do not take advantage of the rules, then you are not really taking advantage of the program as it was designed. So you have to know all the rules. Another thing is you have to make sure you're legally protected and that you aren't giving away your company's intellectual property. By working so closely with another firm, you're sharing a lot of protected data. You're sharing a lot of what I like to call the secret sauce of how you guys do things. And so you wanna make sure that your intellectual property is protected uh, and not exposed so that the larger corporation uh, may wanna take that and use it for its own. Uh, and another thing is you have to stay connected and communicate constantly. You know how they say the squeaky wheel gets the oil. You have to be the squeaky wheel. You have to stay connected to those partners. You have to stay connected to that firm. You have to constantly bring opportunities 
to the JV, you have to put a lot of effort and a lot of energy into making sure that that JV is successful. And what you'll find, I believe, and, and what I have found is that your JV partners will match that energy. But they need to know, number one, that you are who you say you are and you are doing your very best to not only bring opportunities, but to learn, but to grow and to be able to close deals. Wow. So thank you, Mike. That definitely gives us some good context. I think we have laid the foundation to what JVs are and how they can benefit small businesses. However, with anything, there's always potential pitfalls that can occur without the right knowledge, understanding, and connections. With that, we want to talk more about navigating joint ventures and the three R's, rules, regulations, and relationships. Okay, so we are going to head into our next topic, talking about the types of limitations there are on subcontracting when you're in a JV. Um, Mike, as you mentioned before, there are rules, there are regulations to uh, this type of contracting agreement. Um, and it's interesting because we see that typically in subcontract agreements as a part of a, a, a JV, um, you have a scope of work that's defined in terms of the contract that you're going into. Um, and you're bound by that scope of work. And you're also typically bound by slowdowns or clauses that the prime has, that the government has put in the contract agreements that are flown literally, as it sounds, down to the subcontractor or participants in the JV. You're also typically bound by the same deadlines, deliverables, work quality products, compliance agreements. I mean, the list is pretty long as a member of a JV especially when, when there is a dynamic of a prime and versus sub role. So we wanted to talk a little bit more about that, especially given that there are other nuances that, you know, as small businesses, you have to get pretty versed in, in terms of the termination agreements that may be written into your agreement or, or other things that you've talked about in terms of payment terms and the, the T's and C's that go way down into the, the weeds of the terminology. Um, and as a small business, some have the contract office or contract team resources to be able to dive down into these things and understand the legalese. But for those in our audience that may not have that expertise on hand, it's something that you want to consider. Um, I don't, I, I think none of us on this panel take legal agreements lightly. They are binding agreements and they hold a lot of weight, especially in, in men or protege as well as standard JVs. Um, so we want to take a few minutes to just talk about some of the limitations outside of just the contract agreements that there are in terms of being in a subcontractor role in a JV uh, as a small business? Sure. So one of the things I think that's important to understand when you're getting into a joint venture, especially if it's a joint venture with a large firm, is that large firms like to go after large contracts. And as a part of the joint venture, the protege firm still is obligated uh, by SBA rules to do 51% of the work. And so if a protege firm is to go after a contract that may be, you know, 70, 80 million dollars or, or something, and they have to do 51% of the work, they may be on the hook for that 40 million dollars of revenue. And they have to be able and be in a position to be able to finance payroll for that 40 million dollars. So you need to really get a good understanding of what sort of a financial situation you're in as a small business and uh, let that kind of guide you in terms of the types of contracts that you're going to go after uh, for with a large business uh, because the large business have a lot more resources 
than small businesses do. And so one of the things that uh, a good small business will do is make sure that you are financially solvent and that uh, you have the ability to finance the type of contract uh, that you're going after in the event of an award. Um, there is another thing you know, that I think especially small business protege firms should be aware of is that the SBA also, they do offer uh, regular check-ins on how this joint venture is going, going and they do offer the ability to terminate the joint venture. Uh, so you can terminate the joint venture and you uh, do not lose your ability to do kind of those two all small joint ventures if your joint venture is not going well. So understanding determination clauses, understanding, you know, kind of the finance portion of it, I think are extremely important um, when you're looking at setting up a joint venture. So you talked about um, a couple things in the earlier part of the episode, and it made me think of I think one of the scariest words probably for a small business government contractor, and that's affiliation, you know, taking that, that is one of those things that you have to have keen awareness of and how you structure um, your agreements, the timing, and when you go after opportunities versus having, or doing the mentor protege program, as you stated, which helps to, it's one of the exemptions, I guess, that, that can help you avoid having an affiliation. But can you talk to us a little bit more about what an affiliation is and how you considered this in doing your joint venture? Well, just for us, um, when, when thinking about a joint venture and thinking about, you know, who we would select for that, that joint venture and, and how we wanted to be viewed, we really looked for firms that were, that had a lot of synergies with what we were doing. And so we looked for firms that, that really were sort of a, kind of operating in the same space, maybe with the same customers um, that had similar ideology about growing business. And early on, you know, early on, we really were more customer focused. Um, I think as our company has matured, we have really become to be more capability focused. And we really, at still point, we focus on outcomes now. And so we want to make sure that the outcomes provide the impact uh, for our customers that, that, that they really want and they're really looking for. And so uh, for us, in terms of looking for a large business to potentially do another joint venture with, that's some of the things that we look for, our companies that, that do impactful work and that they're really able to kind of change and push a culture forward as a digital transformation firm, we really focus in on impact and we focus on outcomes and we focus on pushing mission forward to really solve some of the challenges that every agency is facing. Uh, and so we look to firms and to very large firms and, and a lot of the kind of management consulting firms that have some of those same ideas that we have. Uh, and those are the firms that, that we like to partner with and we would consider doing another joint venture with. So I would I would say just to just to clarify on the affiliation for anyone that's listening is that an affiliation typically occurs when there's some type of protest, right? That you guys submit that is questioning the size of the business and uh, affiliation can actually be determined if you know one of the businesses is determined to 
have control basically um, over the affairs of the other party, even if that particular control isn't necessarily exercised, that could be considered an affiliation. And what can end up happening is that your company can be, actually a small can be considered a large, depending on how big your partner is, or the small could be considered other than small, um, which wouldn't be good either, depending on what contract, whatever the contract is that you went after, if it's a set aside or what have you. And so it's smart to pay attention, like Michael said, to what companies you're picking and choosing to partner with and like what their what is their capacity and capability. But it also goes back to some of the conversation we was having before about ensuring how you structure your agreements that is not set up in a way that infers an affiliation um, with your partner where they have, you know, control or authority in a way that would that would not provide immunity for your business in this particular type of agreement. Right. And the SBA, they do offer some templates, especially for uh, setting up the joint venture uh, in terms of who is the managing venturer of the joint venture and what the roles and responsibilities are of not only the protege firm, but the mentor firm as well. And that really could address a lot of those affiliation questions that you asked. Yep. Because and, and affiliations can be mitigated, right? They're not the end of the world. It's just something to be smart about going into these particular types of agreements. Yep. Knowing the rules are important. So that brings us to uh, our, our final segment here, um, talking kind of collectively about a lot of the information that you've provided, Mike, kind of the, the, the heads up that you've given us on the importance of understanding the dynamics of the partners that you're choosing to go into a joint venture with understanding the rules and regulations, prioritizing things like um, understanding your value system and how the company that you partner with may put something different as a priority than you you do as a, as a still point lead and, and the value in those synergies and those alignments before going into a joint venture, as well as some of the operational components that you've learned of managing a joint venture, as well as managing partnerships and all the dynamic pieces that fit within that equation to have a successful joint venture. And then the other side of that as well, of unfortunately in cases where you need to get out of said joint venture, what some of your options are and how to mitigate some of those risks so that you don't get to that point. So we've covered a lot of material, a lot of very valuable information um, in that time. And clearly you've had a lot of experience doing kind of both sides of that equation, the mentor protege, as well as JV. So with that experience, kind of armed with that experience, I should say, what, what's your plan? What's next? More JVs? Where are, are you, where, where are you going? What's your trajectory um, and, and your recommendations kind of given where you all are in your maturity and life cycle um, that, that you may have for other businesses of similar size? So for us at Still Point, we really are solely focused on digital transformation and really becoming the most mature digital transformation company out there. So, so what we have done is we have taken up the mantra of we are not going to be everything to everybody. We are going to be really good at a couple of things. And that is what we have found that has really been able to excel our growth over the last three years, three, four years or so. We have really focused in on building an infrastructure and maturing our digital transformation capability. And our customers see it, our competitors see it, 
And uh, because of that, we've been able to win quite a bit of digital transformation work. And so uh, we're one of the only small businesses to do digital transformation in terms of, of automation and implementation and development in the intelligence community. Um, and so we really have developed quite a good niche for ourselves. We've branched out into the FedCiv area uh, as well as DOD uh, in digital transformation and data analytics. And so we are really taking an approach that we want to really focus on outcomes, as I mentioned earlier, uh, for our customers and, and what those outcomes look like. We want to solve the problem of shrinking resources and growing requirements. And we solve that problem by implementing digital transformation technologies such as analytics, such as automation, uh, such as AI and ML uh, tools. We couple those things to really give not only workers and executives, but you know, give them insights into some of the, the issues and some of the, the achievements that they're able to see uh, by implementing these technologies and they're able to see it quickly in terms of a return on investment. And so um, once we decided to not be everything to everybody and to really be experts at one or two things, uh, our company took off. And so for us, what's next is to continue to expand on uh, digital transformation implementations and IT modernization efforts, uh, partner with our customers on that journey and uh, help them grow and help them evolve and help them achieve the outcomes uh, that they're looking for. And I know that you guys are, are an 8A and growing and planning for not only that taking on or harnessing all this growth that you've experienced over the last few years, but you're very, um, I would say, advanced in looking forward into what does the end look like if there is an end and planning for that transition out of those small, all small programs, because I don't know, and you know, still point looking like they might be a large coming up here at some point. And so you have to make plans and be smart about the decisions you're making with these different tools and these programs, like having joint ventures and even the men protege, you know, you, you, you get a couple in some instances, I've talked to a few companies had one that knocked them out of small. Um, that's not normal. That's not typical, I should say. However, it could happen with a couple opportunities. So with that in mind, how does your experience tie into the planning that you guys are doing for the future with regards to exiting these small business programs, including 8A? Well, so that, that really goes to your relationships, trusting your, the executive team, um, trusting, you know, and, and having a good strategy and a good sound plan for your growth. Uh, Still Point is a very process-driven company. And so we have already prepared for rapid growth. But we talk to partners, we talk to colleagues, we talk to mentors about what do you do? What happens? What are some of the strategies, you know, when you grow? What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the things that you need to look out, out for? And so having mentors, having colleagues that have, got, that have been there and done that, and taking that journey before you, it really helps you not to make some of the mistakes that they may have made. And it helps you to be able to maximize, you know, as, a, as an organization, your earning potential. Uh, so, so I would say mentors, I would say having a sound strategy, um, 
are, are really two of the most important things. You know, have great relationships with your bankers, have great relationships with your investors, uh, have that sound strategy that that you know, you know, whether you succeed or fail, um, coming out of some of these small business programs, you know, financially you're going to be okay. Uh, and, and that's important. Uh, so it's important to plan those things. And we like to plan. So we are always kind of executing today the things that we planned for three years ago or four years ago. And so that's where we are today. And we're planning right now for what we're going to do four years from now or five years from now. And so uh, we're really excited about the future. We're really excited about the journey that we're going. Um, but we want to enjoy the ride and we want to enjoy the moment. We want to take advantage of right now and, and the good people that we're able to interact with right now and build those relationships and um, and follow the strategy and the plan that we set for, but we don't want to miss the moment. I think you gave us so many good takeaways and so many good one-liners and so many t-shirt worthy comments that I don't even think we need another ultimate takeaway because I think that just the last couple of statements have been chock full of takeaways and wonderful sound bites that I think anyone in industry kind of is inspired to hear, um, especially that small businesses um, are planning so far ahead and planning for the future of their employees, um, as well as the future growth in that transition. So I appreciate all of that insight, as well as takeaways and, and useful bits of information. I think with that, we're going to hand it over to you, Sasha. So with this episode, we've talked heavily about joint ventures. Um, and a little bit about men and protégés and how one small business has been successful in leveraging these tools in order to grow their business. And from that, we found benefits that from an overall greater capacity, uh, providing collective representation on past performance for companies, shared cost and resources. It allows these small businesses to leverage the other partners' experience and as well as their market share, but some of the pitfalls also with regards to the objectives, you know, of the venture being clear, having communication between the partners, you know, making sure that that is tightened up and, and it's consistent and persistent, having partners' expectations be the same. You don't want different expectations, and that's the purpose of the agreement, but also of the consistent uh, communication. You know, making sure that also the work and the resources are distributed accordingly. And that gets us, keeps us away from having any types of affiliation issues. And um, with that, we really want to thank you for joining us again here on Unveil GovCon Stories uh, to learn more about small businesses and their experiences in the government contracting space. Mike, we want to definitely give a big, big thank you to you for joining our podcast today and sharing so much information. Um, and I also want to hand it over to you to give any closing CTAs. Sure. So thank you all for having me uh, and giving me the ability to share uh, some of the stories that we have experienced. I um, would encourage anyone to come and check out SteelPoint at www.steelpoint-llc.com. Uh, we are a digital transformation company. Uh, we're a great firm to work for. We primarily work in the IC, DOD. Uh, in the federal space. So I would just encourage you to check us out if you are uh, interested in automation technologies or analytics, uh, please hit us up. Thank you. Appreciate that, Mike. And to our audience, thank you again for joining. Please do engage with us online. 
subscribe, share our podcast, shoot us messages. Um, we're live on social media, so we're here for you. We'd love to take any suggestions about content, um, and we hope to hear from you. Again, thank you for joining us on Unveiled GovCon Stories, a High 39 media production with our guest, Michael Hawkins of Still Point Solutions, and your hosts, Tasha and Yaz. Please subscribe, share our podcast, and spread the word. Thanks again.